Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6, the Bible said, But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God, with the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries, and I made treasurers over the treasuries. Shelemiah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Pedaiah. And next to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Madaniah, for they were counted faithful. And their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. I want to lift a phrase from the verses that I've read as we deal with all these verses tonight. He says in verse number 11, Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And that's my question, and that's the, I think, the context of what we're seeing in these verses, that the house of God was forsaken. And the interesting thing about that, if you'd hold your finger and just go back to chapter 10, would you do that? In Nehemiah chapter 10, at the very ending of the chapter, and you know these things as we went through them, and we talked about how they signed and sealed their names in commitment to the Lord. And the Bible said at the very last verse of Nehemiah chapter 10, For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, and the oil, and of the chambers, where are the vessels of the sanctuary. We're reading about those chambers tonight. And the priests that minister, and the porters, and the singers, watch it, watch it, and we will not. Forsake the house of our God. In chapter 10, they promised not to forsake the house of God. And by chapter 13, they had already done what they had promised not to do. Is that not a picture of many of the lives of people that name the name of Christ? Things and commitments that they made to God and they were very serious about them. But as time goes on and circumstances change... They do things that they said they'd never do. We will not forsake the house of God. But it wasn't less than 
nine years they had. Now, nine years can, a lot of things can happen in your life in nine years. But you know what, tonight? You ought to be so settled in your spirit with God that nine years from now, you're the same lover of Jesus and lover of the church and doing right. Doesn't matter what happens in the nine years. And the sad thing is, as time goes on in people's lives, they wind up doing things that they never, never even dreamed they'd do. I think that they were honest in chapter 10. I believe that they were sincere. But just because you're sincere a certain time in your life doesn't mean that you're going to be sincere later on. And the thing that happened is, is verse number 6 of our chapter. Nehemiah left. He had to leave. The king had set him a time and he had to come back to the palace. The Bible says in Nehemiah 13, 6, But in all this time was, was not I at Jerusalem. So when everything starts going crazy, it's because Nehemiah is not there anymore and his godly influence is not, is, is not prevalent and is not present. And all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king. So remember, you remember when we started this book, he went to the king and the king caused him to set him a time. He had to give him a how long are you going to do this? How, how long are you going to be gone? And he had to give him a time because everything is done decently in an order and that's true about God. And he, he gave, he set him a time and if you do the math, it was 12 years. That's a good time to be off work. I don't know about you, but I don't know if your job would give you 12 years off work and let you come back and have the same job. And you know what that was? That's God. You know, when God's involved in something, it all doesn't have to make sense and look right on paper. God will just work it out. So 12 years goes by, and Nehemiah, he's a faithful man. You know what he could have done? He could have said, well, forget the king. I, you know, this is God's work. But no, he was honest, right? And he fulfills his word and he goes back to the king. And the interesting thing, while he's gone, of course, things start happening in a bad way in, in Jerusalem. So I don't know what prompted him to do it. And we don't have the story here in the Bible. But at some point he goes to the king and says, King, you know, you'll be the king tonight, man. You know, king, I know I asked you for 12 years off. But can I have some more time? Guys, do you know how much God had to work in that king's heart? And the king says, all right, Nehemiah, you, you can go back again. And that was just God allowing that. And, of course, I see another picture there. The second coming of our Lord, I believe, is in there. And when he came back the second time, he, he's a little bit different than he went the first time. <laughs> When Nehemiah comes back the second time, you know what's going to happen? Hair's going to fly. Amen. I mean, there's going to be some, things going to get a little bit violent. And uh, so that, I see a picture there of, of our Savior, of our Lord. And so Nehemiah comes back from that trip. And when he gets there, he can't believe what he sees. I, I remember being on the mission field and coming back from from overseas after being over there for seven and a half years and just not being able to comprehend what happened to my country in seven and a half years and churches and people and how everything, I mean, churches that had taken me on that were good, solid churches and now they're just, 
They're just crazy. They, they were just they went a whole different direction. And not just in churches, but that fast. And, and I think Nehemiah is shocked as that, at that as well. And the Bible says in verse number 6 here, But in all this time was I, I not at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem, verse 7, and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. It should have, because... This, this, this guy, this joker here, Tobiah, is the guy, and I told you before, that, that was the enemy of God. He was mocking the things of God. He stood against the things. He hated, he was angry at, at the wall being built, at the things of God being done, and he was totally on the other side, and he was that, he was that, of that Ammonite, uh, tribe and, and, and that, that, that descent, and he, he had a, he had just a total, disregard for, for the will of God and the things of God. And this priest had, had prepared him in the place where the vessels of the house of God, the holy things were to be. He, he took those vessels out and he made a place for Tobiah to live. This enemy of God. And he's, he's grieved over that. And when he comes to the, the rulers, he says, why is the house of God forsaken? Why did I come back and there used to be a place where there was a holy, some holy things in the house of God. And when I get back, it's not holy things in the house of God. It's wicked things in the house of God. It's, it's the things that are opposite of what God wants. And it's right here in his house. Why is the house of God forsaken? The first thing I will say about that is don't forsake the house of God by corrupting it. They corrupted the house of God by bringing wrong things and replacing the holy things. They brought the wrong ones in. They corrupted the house of God by welcoming in the enemies of God and their things, not just Tobiah came in, he brought all his stuff with him. You see that in verse 8? It grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. wonder what an Ammonite brings with him, with his stuff. wonder what kind of pictures he's got in his room. wonder what kind of books he brings in. Wonder what kind of things he decorates his room with. And this is in the house of God. You know, we can forsake the house of God by corrupting it. And by the grace of God, if he'll help us, we're not going to bring the ways of the heathen into this house. Because if we do, we'll forsake it. We've forsaken the purpose and the plan and the will. We, we, we want sinners to come in here and be saved, but we don't want Tobiases coming in and planting themselves and changing the, the, the holy place into a place where they, it's the stuff of the flesh and the stuff of the world. You can forsake the house of God just by putting the wrong stuff there. I, I wonder, where do they put the... The vessels of the Lord. Oh, maybe, maybe the, and this was a priest that did this, a guy that should know better. Oh, that's all right. Just move God's stuff out and let's make room for, 
Let's make room for the dance band drug, dr- drums, you know. Let, let's move the, the holy stuff out. Well, let's, bring, let's bring the yoga class in. And let's bring the other versions in. Let's just uh, let the teenagers just, you know, dress any way they want to and the church people not say, just, just however, just bring it on in. And pretty soon the house of God is just forsaken because the holy things aren't in there anymore. And, and, and Nehemiah said, why? why? Why'd you do this? Guys, you know how many independent Baptist churches I could name, and some of them aren't even far drive from here, that used to be holy places and places of evangelism, but they brought Tobias in. They brought Tobiah into the place. And now they don't even exist anymore. And the house of God is forsaken. Well, what do you do about all that? Verse 8, and it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Can you see? You know, this, isn't this a picture of Jesus, not just of his second coming? What did, remember how Jesus was throwing stuff out of the house of God when he was here the first time? <laughs> and they said, man, what, what power and authority are you doing this by? But you know what? They didn't get in his way. You know that the Lord Jesus Christ was a man's man because if he hadn't have been, they'd have stepped right in his face and stopped him. But they were scared. This guy was taking tables and throwing them out of the house and throwing people out. He said, this is a house of prayer. And Nehemiah, he goes in there and just starts throwing stuff out. Now, you know what? I, I would hope we'd have good enough men, amen, if somebody, I don't even know what they do anymore. If they bought, brought a smoke machine and the little, what is it, the, the neon lights and stuff and make it look like a bar. That's what I think of. Yeah. People just take it, just throw it out. Yeah. But I'm not really worried about that. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about you throwing out the stuff out of your house. Some of you probably got some stuff you need to throw out of your house. Because that's, normally that's where the battle is. Because guys, <laughs> that other stuff, as long as Nehemiah's here, <laughs> it, it ain't going to make it to first base here. But your house is a different story. And what you allow in your house and what you allow with your family, that's in your life, in your mind, that's a totally different story. And I'm telling you, there are probably some things in our homes and in our lives that are Tobiah things. That are things that are against God. And some of it may even look harmless. And I I don't really have a lot of hobby horses. I I really don't. I try to ride them all at one time or another. I, I don't really have any just one little thing. But that stuff with Disney's about, about, I'm about right up here to it. That stuff is against God. It, it, is, it is against God. Oh, preacher. Yeah, you do preacher me this, preacher me that. I'm telling you. It's Tobiah. 
Well, what do we do? We just throw it out in the yard. You know what? I'm glad that I grew up in a day where things got so uh, serious with the Lord. I remember throwing out my my television set, and I remember doing all that. You say, preacher, you going to preach? I can't even preach on that no more. You guys ain't going to throw away your television set. You you like football too much. So if you're not going to throw yours out, I'm not going to throw mine out. But you see how far we've come? And then Mike gets back and says, why why, why is the house of God forsaken? What is here? He just starts throwing it out, just throwing it out in the street, throwing it out in the yard. And I guarantee you, it wasn't just the stuff... I don't know where Tobiah was, but he wasn't around. He knew not to be around. Nehemiah's coming back. I better get out of town. Yes, you better. Because then it's just going to be your stuff that's going to land in the street. You're going to land on your ear on the street. Amen. I'll never forget that. I like to tell the story just because it's funny. We had a guy in our church in Virginia stood up. <laughs> He was full of the devil. He got up with a book of Mormon and started reading it and started shouting at me in the middle of my message. I didn't even say boo. I had four men on him like white on rice. And he was kicking and screaming. One got one leg and one got the other leg and one got the two. And they threw him out the door. Preacher didn't say nothing. But now, what if we would have that attitude with the stuff in our house that's against God, the stuff that's in my life, that's things that are in my heart? You want to forsake the house of God? Just let corruption in. It'll do it for you. The Bible said in verse number 8, And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff. You notice, he didn't leave anything. Get it all out. We're not going to leave a picture of his grandma in here. Get it all out. Every shoe. Every shirt. I want all of his stuff out. This is a holy place. But you know that wasn't enough. The Bible said in verse 9, Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. He said, you know what, guys, before we start bringing God's holy stuff in here, we're not just going to kick out the bad. We've got to clean up. He said, I want somebody to go in there. I want somebody to mop the floors and clean the walls because there's so much filth in there. We're not just going to throw it out. We're going to have to cleanse everything. We're going to have to sanctify everything. You know, it's not enough for you just to get bad things out of your life. You've got to clean your life. You've got to sanctify your life. You know, you can remove... Remember that story Jesus told about those devils and those devils left? But if you don't put something good in its place, if the place is just emptied and garnished, they'll bring back more devils with them. We don't just throw out the bad. We've got to cleanse it. And by the way, just because you take out bad stuff doesn't mean that you get cleansed. You know, you can... I I got interviewed by the pastor I was uh, preaching for Last week up in Pennsylvania, the pastor was interviewing me. And he asked me, he said, you know, what's, the, what's one of the things that's really destroying our churches? And uh, he's a young pastor. And I said, 
He said, could you put your finger? I said, well, it'd be hard to put a finger on one thing. But I said, this pornography thing is just destroying people's minds and their hearts and their lives. Do you know you can get rid of the pornography and not get clean? You can take your computer and throw it out in the yard, but that doesn't mean you got clean. It's not just removing the stuff. It's, pay, it's saying, you know, Lord, I confess it. Wash me. It's not just enough to take something bad and move it. It's, Lord, scrub me down in there and wash me. Wash my brain and my heart. It's not reformation. It's sanctification that I need. And Nehemiah said, all right, his junk is out in the street. Now go wash the chambers. Clean them up. And then he says in verse number 9, And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And so now he brings the holy things back in the house because the, the wicked things are out and the place is clean and now the holy things can have their rightful place back in the house of God. Don't forsake the house of God by corrupting it. Get out the bad stuff. Cleanse what needs to be cleansed and then let the holy have its place. The second thing I see, would you look at verse number 10? And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil under the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries. And the verse says, For they were counted faithful and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. We can forsake the house of God by corrupting it. And we can forsake the house of God by not giving. I'm just in the text. So Nehemiah gets back and he not only sees this wicked guy has set up house in the, in the house of God, but then he also finds out that the, the people that are doing the work of God aren't being given what they need to be given. And the tithes aren't being given. And the people of God aren't doing what God told them to do in the Bible. And the people that are supposed to be engaged in the work of God have left the house of God. Are you listening to me? They left the house of God. They're supposed to be serving there, but they all leave the house of God because they don't have any money because the people aren't giving. And so they, the people that are supposed to be doing the work of God they flee every man to the, his field. They go to the field to work a job. You know how you can forsake the house of God? Just not by giving. Just don't give. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if the missionaries that we have doing the work of God all the day, one day they, they wake up and uh, because we're so selfish and we don't keep our commitments that they don't get their money. You do know all these missionaries, they're on the field by faith. <laughs> they don't get paid like you get paid. <laughs> every month as a missionary, every single month, the money I got over the 10 years spent as a missionary, every month was a different check. It's never the same. Never. 
that discouragement, God took care of us. I'm not complaining at all. I'm just saying, why is that? It was because sometimes people gave more. Sometimes people quit giving. Well, what if one month all of a sudden people just said, sorry, inflation. Am I, am I saying this where you can understand it? I mean, times are bad right now as far as financially for a lot of people in America. What if, what if we just quit giving the missions? What would happen to our missionaries? The same thing that happened right here. They would have to quit the work of God and do manual labor or whatever to feed their families. And there's nothing wrong with manual labor. There's nothing wrong with getting a job. But there is something wrong with the work of God not being done. And remember, things aren't, things aren't all prosperous and, and hunky-dory and no problems in the book of Nehemiah, right? This is a small remnant. But for whatever reason, Nehemiah goes away and they quit giving. Well, the preacher ain't here. We don't have to give no more. Nobody's going to check up on us so we don't have to give anymore. You can forsake the, the house of God with your pocketbook. And not just with not supporting the work of God with your money. I say you can forsake the house of God also this way. He said in verse number 11 that did the work were fled everyone to his field. You know how you could also forsake the house of God? It wasn't just, now, now watch me now, it was not just the the, 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 the people that were supposed to be giving that failed to give that forsook the house of God. And by the way, you forsake the house of God when you don't give and when you don't have a part in it. You have forsaken it. You've had no part in it. But also these people, I would hope, I would hope that if everything dried up and you didn't give me a nickel, that I'd mount this pulpit on Sunday. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, what I'm doing is not dependent on what you're... You say, well, we... Look, I would do this if I didn't get anything. I said, yes, Brother Jerry, some of these men are here. They'll tell you, when they met with me, I didn't ask what I was going to get because that was immaterial. Does God want me to do this? Well, what does money have to do with it? If God wants me to do it. Well, so you got, I understand all that. But whether, whether I get a nickel, look, if God wants me to do it, I'm going to do it. But here, you know what they said? Hey, we, we, got, we got responsibilities. I know I'm supposed to be in here bringing the meat offerings. I know I'm supposed to be God's priest in here. I know I'm supposed to be doing God's work in the house. But I tell you what, we got to go get a job. And so they valued, they put secular work above the work of the house of God. Can you please listen to me? Don't forsake the house of God by putting your secular job above the work of the house of God. Don't do that. The house of God is more important than any of our paychecks. Do you understand that? And by the way, sir or ma'am, your children need you in the house of God with them more than they need you to pay their college education. 
They can live without a college education. They're not going to make it without a church. I've lived too long and watched people get the priorities changed. Well, I got to go flee to my field. I got to go work. I got to pay the bills. Yes, but if you leave the house of God, if you leave the place, you're going to get in more trouble leaving the place of God and going out there and getting whatever you get. And Nehemiah says, why have y'all left the house of God? And the singer said, man, we had to go to the field. It's the church people's fault. They don't give. You mean you're only singing in the house of God because you get a paycheck? Do you see the problem? There was a priority that wasn't placed on the things of God. And immediately when things got hard, the first person that got the shaft was God's house. Guys, I'm not preaching this because we have, we have a financial problem. If you know me, I'm preaching through the Bible because it's there. I mean, I, I hadn't looked at it. Brother Jerry put a, the statement uh, up until this time about what it looks like. I don't know this will be the case, but we may have the best year financially this year than we've ever had in the history of the church. I'm not positive of that, but it's looking that way. I'm not preaching this for that reason. I'm preaching this for you. It's not what the church needs. It's what you need. It's what your family needs. God needs you in the house of God. He doesn't need you out in the field. My my youngest daughter, it sort of upset me. She was over in Greenville, so she was living with her sister and Going to Brother's Church over there, and so she had to go get a job. <laughs> and everywhere she went to get a job, they said, and she told every one of them the same thing, I can't work on Sunday. And every one of them said, well, then you can't work here. He said, okay. <laughs> Next. <laughs> you know why? Guys, going to church is more important than you paying your light bill. <laughs> you can... <laughs> It's hard. You can live without electricity. I mean, humans did that for how, how many centuries? We don't want to do that. I'm not saying. But when it come, if it came between my electric bill and the house of God, it, it's not a choice for me. Well, you're just a preacher. No, I'm not just a preacher. I'm saved. And I know that if I forsake the house of God, there's going to be bigger bills to pay that aren't with a dollar sign. Nehemiah comes back and says, where is everybody? Well, we've got to go to work. You say, preacher, what if I'm in that situation? Well, if I know God, if you'll talk to God about that, he can work that out if you have a good heart. I, I, I don't know how, but I believe he can. I mean, Brother Steve's back there. I remember the day he, he wasn't here hardly at all. And his wife and kids needed him. And so did his church, and he was all over the world. So he prayed and prayed. God just keeps giving him jobs. I don't know what's going on with that, but... It's possible. Verse 11. 
Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. You know, no one wants to be confrontational anymore. Then contended I with the rulers. You know what I really believe? There's no way that you can, there's no way anybody can be a good leader unless they're willing to be confrontational. Matter of fact, that might be a prerequisite, even in the things of God. If you're not willing to be confrontational, now I'll say this on the heels of that, if you enjoy confrontation, you are also disqualified. I don't enjoy confrontation. I don't like it. But I'm not afraid of it either. You know what happens? People can't confront their kids over sins and problems. They can't confront their spouse over sins and problems. They can't confront others in their life that bring things in their life. And they just want to be easy going with everybody. I'm telling you, when Nehemiah came back to town, he had to contend with the rulers. He had to confront them. And the Bible said he set them in their place. Because if you don't set somebody in their place, they're always out of place. You don't have to be mean and unkind to do that. But I say that, but when you're starting to pull out people's hair, that's pretty that's pretty. No, don't pull out your husband's hair. Don't do that. Don't do that. He needs all he's on his head. Don't pull out your wife's hair. Don't be, don't, don't be ugly like that. Have the Spirit of Christ about you. But look, we have to confront things that are wrong or they never get changed. And some people can never confront the things that are wrong in their own life. As a pastor, I've had to confront a lot of things I didn't want to do. And I'll tell you this about, you know, if people will do right, there's, there's no confrontation. <laughs> if people just do the will of God. Here's the thing. Look, if, if young people do something wrong, you're forcing your parents, if they're the right parents, you're forcing them to confront you. If somebody does something wrong in this, if some teacher gets up in our Sunday school class and they open an NIV, it's not that I have anything against the people in the church, but if you do something wrong, you force me to confront you. Well, I just don't want to make anybody upset. Nehemiah's not too concerned about that. Because he doesn't want the house of God forsaken. And he's confronting them about their giving. Well, wouldn't that be a hoot? Some of you are looking squarely at me right now. <laughs> Verse 12, then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn. I bet they did. <laughs> because he set them in their place. <laughs> he put them in the position they needed to be. Looks like maybe... The way I read the king's is he probably may have chewed him out. When I think of setting you, boy, he set him in his place. What, what do you think about? Somebody putting their arm around and said, you did such a good job. That's not what I'm reading. <laughs> Why is the house of God forsaken? 
He set them in their place. And so the next, this is a great story. The next verse they responded, then brought all Judah, not a few of them, all of them, all Judah, the tithe of the corn, the new wine, the oil under the treasury. All of them get right with God. They get right and they bring back their, 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 their giving and their tithes. And he has to appoint treasures to keep all the money that's coming in and offices of the treasures of the faithful men so that these things can be distributed. I mean, they're getting right with the Lord. Because they see they've forsaken the house of God in their giving. You can forsake the house of God by corrupting it. You can forsake the house of God in your giving in a hurry. Would you go to verse number 14? Our last verse, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. He asked God to remember him. That's going to come up again in this chapter. But he asked God to remember him and not wipe out his good deeds that he has done for the house. He said, God, don't wipe that out. I thought, what is that? What are you trying to say there? Why is Nehemiah praying to God and said, God, don't wipe out the good things that I've done. And I, and it looks like, you know, some of the good things that you've done can be wiped out. Some of the past things that you were right with and that you, you accomplished for the glory of God and all that, some of those good things, those good deeds, they can be wiped out. How can they be wiped out? Well, Second John tells us, He says that we need to look to those things that we have wrought. That we receive a full reward and that no man take our crown. I think the good that we've done, there's a, there's a, a, a fallacious doctrine going around or has gone around for a while. If God, God will look back at your past and if you've done a lot, a, a, lot, a, good, a lot of good deeds and you've done right, then He'll overlook the things you do in the future. That is stupid. God can literally go back and wipe out the good that you've done based upon what you're doing forward. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose the things that you've wrought by the good things that you've done in the past. How many people have erased a whole life of good things they've done for the Lord by changing directions in their life? What a prayer by Nehemiah. Wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God. So this is my third thing and final thing. Don't forsake the house of God by corrupting it. Don't forsake the house of God by not giving to it. And don't forsake the house of God by failing in your good deeds for her. Now, if Nehemiah had come back to Jerusalem and done nothing, he would have been just as guilty as forsaking the house of God as they were. He needed to do good deeds for the benefit of the house of God. So you can forsake the house of God by not doing good deeds for. Isn't that what he says? My good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices there. So you can forsake the house of God by not doing good deeds for her. So give you three things. What good, th- good deeds can I do for the house of God? Well, you can pray for. You know what uh, Samuel said? God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. 
You know how some people forsake the house of God? They forsake the place of prayer. They don't pray for the church. They just assume that it will all keep going just as fine without their prayer. They forsake their prayer life. They don't pray for the message. Did you pray for the invitations today? Did you pray that the preacher would preach what I'm supposed to preach today? I need your prayers. Did you pray for our evangelism that goes out? See, you can forsake the house of God in a variety of ways. And when we don't pray, Samuel says, it's a sin. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, His people. We are His house. We are His people. We are His temple. So how much do you pray for Him or have you forsaken that? Do you pray for the children's church? Or have you forsaken Brother Simon, Miss Kidron, and not praying for super church? We can forsake our missionaries by not praying for them. You say, well, we got a hundred and something. Yeah, I know, but if we'll all do our part, maybe we'll all cover them pretty good. But there's, guys, come on, let's be honest. There are some of the people of God in this house, you have forsaken the place of prayer. You've not been praying for this place in so long. And you've forsaken those good deeds. God, please meet the need. We had a good men's prayer meeting yesterday. Men's prayer breakfast is a blessing. And we had people praying for it. We had people praying for the guys putting up the stuff to protect them in the building. We had people praying for missionaries and just praying for everything. How about praying for the, have you prayed for the orchestra? You know what I pray today? Oh, God, please help those that play the instruments that, that you would fill them with the Holy Ghost. Because I just don't want music. I want music filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, you can forsake the house of God by just not praying for anything. You just come in and plop down like, it, like it's all going to go without your prayer. And you've forsaken the things of God. You're not helping any. How about your good deeds by just praying? How about your good deeds and not just your praying for the house of God, but your good deeds with your behavior in the house of God? Your behavior. He said, and I'll just read it to you. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He said, you know, if you're part of the house of God, you ought to behave a certain way. And if you don't behave the right way, you've forsaken, you've not done a good deed for the church. You say, well, how do I behave in church? Oh, there's a lot of ways, but you don't have time for me to elaborate tonight. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. You want to do something good for the church? Tell Brother Jimmy what a good job he's done. Instead of telling Brother Bill what a bad job he did. That's not good behavior. You want to do a good deed? 
go to these nursery workers. Let's see, tonight was Miss Cindy Brooks and Miss Heather Gibson. Go say, hey, thank you for, for keeping the nursery tonight. Instead of telling so-and-so, well, I tell you what, they don't get that nursery together. I'm talking about good deeds with your behavior. How about your behavior this? You know, you can forsake the house of God by bringing in the terriblest of attitude, and it hurts everything. And you've got a bad attitude, and you're just kicking the can. and That's forsaking the good rejoicing and the good spirit of God that we want happening here. You can forsake the house of God by terrible behavior. We don't have it here. But, man, you can be talking to somebody and... Thank God, when I first got here, it was like NASCAR, people going in and out of church. Y'all know what I'm saying. That just just hurts. You know what a good deed is there? Sit there and hold it. Learn to go before church and after. If you can't hold it for an hour and a half, go to the urologist. Amen. Amen. Well, I just had to go out and get water. Yes, you can come back and go out and get it. Go to the bathroom. Behavior. What can you do good for the church? Have good behavior. Don't come in here immodestly dressed. Do a good deed for us all. That's the way you can help. You can pray. That's a good deed. You can have good behavior. And then you know the verse because I've got to go there. Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter 10, he says, not. That's right. We're talking about why, why is the house of God forsaken? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But so, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You cannot forsake the house of God by your attendance. Now, guys, look around. Turn your head. Turn your head and look, look around. We don't have an attendance problem. Okay? But there are some people in our church that have an attendance problem. And we don't want them to forsake the house of God. And this is what that verse says in Hebrews chapter 10. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. It is more important for you to go to church than it was your grandparents to go to church. You are not going to make it without staying connected to a Bible-believing church. And I know the devil tells people that, oh, you, you're saved, you've got a Bible. Yeah, but you need a church. That's what all that New Testament tells you. There. And you can forsake it by just not being here. I had some of our folks come to me, and they didn't understand. I said, Preacher, you know, you've come when you, you should have been in the hospital. And that's true. Do you know why I did that? It's not because I think that the service can't go on without me. You know how many services I miss. 
But I want to set the example that I don't excuse myself, even if I'm hurt. I'm not telling you to come to church sick, but this is what we do. We can give ourselves an allowance to give ourselves an out when we don't really even have to have an out. We just take it. And maybe I wouldn't give myself that out on Monday because I get paid on Monday. But I'll give myself that out. I'm just saying this, that we live in a day where the devil is trying to slowly pull you away from the house of God until it's forsaken. And he's going to work overtime in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And I've seen people forsake the church because their friend or family member forsook the church. And I've seen people forsake the church because they had bad circumstances come up in their life. And I've seen people forsake the church because they got offended or they got their feelings hurt. Guys, don't don't let that happen in your life. Listen to Nehemiah. It's more important than that. And the world doesn't give a flip about the church, but we as God's people ought to say, by the grace of God, I will not forsake the house of God. People do it because they just love this present evil world. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. Some people forsake the house of God because they just give in to the devil. They finally say, okay. Some people forsake the house of God because they're lazy or they're spiritually backslidden. They have the wrong priorities. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've watched. I have watched in 30 years good, saved people get chipped away until the devil can remove them from the house of God and then he will devour their life. And it's not trying to keep this place exalted it's trying to help you 